Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, my beautiful people, and happy Tuesday to you. Welcome into the Film Guy Network. We have a loaded show for you for you guys tonight, and I want to start with this. Success leaves clues, right? Or at least that's what we've always been told. If you, if you want to find out how, just pay attention to the successful ones. They've probably left some tea leaves out there for you to pick up on, particularly in the world of football. I don't care whether your favorite coach is an offensive coach. I don't care whether your favorite coach is a defensive coach. I don't care whether or not your coach or your favorite coach is dad coach football. I don't care. Whoever you talk to, whatever your favorite football coach is, I guarantee you if you sit down and you break down the philosophies with that individual about why they believe what they believe about the game of football, nine times out of seven, that individual will give you some type of story about, I do it this way because this guy did it this way. I do it this way because the guy that I studied before me did it this way. I did it this way because an opponent did it that way, thought it was interesting, applied it to my program. Talk to any ball knower, talk to any college football coach in the world, and you will hear from them, or any football coach in the world, honestly, you will hear from them that they have stolen the parts of their football program. They have stolen ideologies of their football program. They have stolen typical or standard operations of their football program from other people. This isn't just in the football world either. This is how we operate as humans. We see something that is successful. We see something that works, and we either duplicate it, we either replicate it, or we renovate it. That's about it, right? We either duplicate it, we renovate it, or, or, or we create a new, right? We replicate it. We try to create exactly what they've done the same way. Um, that, that's kind of human nature. So when we see Michigan, right, when we see the Michigan Wolverines go about winning a national title in the way that which they did this season, um, the first question will become how, right? How, how do we go about understanding how Michigan did what they did this year? Because they did it in a very unconventional fashion, right? They did it in a very different way than previous winners, particularly in the college football playoff era. This Michigan Wolverines national title team was very, very different from others. So when we say that, how do we go about understanding the how? How did they do this, right? The, the title of today's, uh, you know, uh, film or not film study. The title of today's show is explaining how Michigan did this. How? How did they go about doing it? So let's try this, right? First and foremost, San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco, Michigan. Not a lot of consistencies, not a lot of uh, uh, similarities between any of those football programs except for they won under Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh found a way to win at all of those programs. Now, this is the first time he's won at this rate at any of those programs, but nonetheless, dude was a winner at all of those programs and all of those organizations. So I think that's where we start with this Michigan discussion of how, well, first and foremost, they've got great football coaching. That's obvious, right? This dude has won at every level. He's won at mid-major levels. He's won at power five levels. He's won on the NFL level, one of the very few to win on the NFL level and then win on the college level or win on the college level and then go win on the NFL level to return to college and have success. The, the across natures of football, 
This dude's won at a rate that other people really haven't. So I think first and foremost, that's obvious. They had great coaching over this regime and over this time period at Michigan. That That's the easy one. The hard one to really put an, uh, uh, an, a nail into or put a finger on is the philosophy. How they've gone about playing football over these years under Harbaugh at Michigan, right? And, and the way that they've gone about it. And honestly... I've taken my stabs and I've made my jokes about the identity with which they've chosen to play football over the last couple of years, right? I didn't think it was necessarily possible for you to be able to run, 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 cloud of dust your way to a national title in the world of college football nowadays, but at least they have an identity, right? I, I, I made my jokes about it. I talked about it. I, I, I poked fun at it. And, and we talked about the stagnation of the offense throughout the year. And then they go on to win a national title. But I don't think at any point did I ever make fun of the idea that they had an identity. In fact, I think that's one of the the key components to becoming a national title football program. Like you have to know who you are and you have to know consistently attack that and consistently build onto that and consistently uh, you know, try to win with that that approach and never waver from it, even though I do think there was a time period in the Michigan regime where they kind of wavered away from this 12 personnel, we're going to run the football, uh, extra offensive alignment type stuff that Harbaugh's been doing dating back all the way to his Stanford days. So I think there was some swaying from this philosophy, but in the end, his philosophy of we are going to be a limiting possessions football team, we are going to be a run-the-football football team, and we are going to be a play-great-defense football team, eventually those philosophies and that ideology, that's what created a national championship winner for Michigan. Um, and, and honestly, they did it in a much, much uh, newer path than the rest of them, right? If I were to just lay it out like that, the idea that you're going to be a run-the-ball play great defense, limit the number of possessions. The idea that you're going to be one of those football teams that win a national title, that is not foreign to college football. Alabama did that for the better part of Nick Saban's regime to start the the, the run at Alabama, right? It was ball control. It was defense. It was suffocating, right? But the difference here and the uniqueness of this path, in my opinion, and the stats will back us up here, is that this unit and this football program – took this path to, to national title success in a very different way in the sense that the other teams that have been line of scrimmage based, limiting possessions based, great defense based, all of those teams in the history of college football have been absolutely loaded down with NFL football players. I'm talking about four and five stars, high quality four and five stars. Dudes that in high school people told were dudes. And the only position group at Michigan that I can even look at right now on paper and say, golly, they have had a plethora of elite football players, first-round caliber football players at that position. They weren't even on the roster this year when they won a title. But I think this room that I'm going to talk about is a microcosm of the entire regime and the entire culture and the entire program at Michigan right now. And it's that defensive ends room. Okay, you guys know Aiden Hutchinson. You guys know David Ajabo. You probably don't remember Mike Morris, but those three names, those are three first-round draft picks at the defensive end position. And again, they are a microcosm of exactly what we're talking about here tonight. Aiden Hutchinson was the highest-ranked player of all of those guys. He was ranked 88th coming out of high school. He was not a five-star. He was a four-star. He was the number two overall draft pick. Okay, and you could argue he should have been the number one overall draft pick. And I know this is a Georgia station. This is a Georgia network. And saying that about Trayvon Walker, blaspheming, especially what he's done this year. But 
the, the, the career paths are kind of comparable right now on the NFL level. Nonetheless, David Ajabo, the next name, that dude was uh, a number 220 in the country in, in rankings coming out of high school. Mike Morris, the other first-round draft pick that was drafted last year out of the defensive end position at Michigan, the backup to these two individuals. He was a three-star coming out of high school. But if you look at all three of those individuals, none of which were five stars, all three of them shared traits. They were all 6'5 plus. They were all 240 pounds plus coming out of high school. They all lacked something to make them a quote-unquote five-star. They all found that something during their time at Michigan to be drafted like a five-star. So again, that room was higher recruited than any other room that they have on their roster period, maybe apart from quarterback. But that room and how they went about designing a plan for what they wanted in the room and then executing that plan for what they wanted in that room that is exactly how they went about building the roster from top to bottom all the way throughout, right? The, the, the title for Michigan is very talent-based, but it is also very much so coaching-based and development-based. And what will tell me this is what I had Jay Will run down today. I made a statement yesterday in my reaction show that they built this different than anybody else. They have not been recruiting at a top seven level. They have not been recruiting at a top five level. Yet here they are dominating the line of scrimmage in a college football playoff game multiple times over against multiple different teams from multiple different regions across the country. And guess what? They did it with very, very minuscule levels of talent in comparison to the rest of them. Jay, will give me the stats on this, please. So the offensive player rating on average on offense is 341.2, and it's the exact same on defense. It's a singular point difference, 342.2 for the defensive side of the football. And that, so that overall team average on the 2D for Michigan was 342 on the dot. And this 342, this is their average player ranking? Yes, this is composite rankings for the 2 deep on both sides of the football. And this doesn't even account, I would imagine, there were some players that you found that weren't even ranked? There was one player that had an N.A. next yeah. to his name. It was not even ranked. And there were two multiple players that were ranked past 1100th. So just for reference here, you said 342? Yeah. Okay, so just for reference here right now, um, I'm looking at the 24-7 composite rankings for the 2024 signing class from the University of Georgia. Um, as of right now, it looks to me like 14 of the 28 signees are inside the top 230. So not, not, even, not even the top 340. I'm talking about the top 230. And the rest of them, I mean, some of these guys are four stars and don't have rankings yet. I think that's a, a, a bigger point to what 24-7 and those folks have going on than anybody else. But nonetheless, this is a football program that did not recruit like a national powerhouse that developed into one. So I think if there are some studies to be done about what Michigan did and, and whether or not it's repeatable, we're going to talk about here in a second. But if there's anything to take away from this, it's that development matters, right, guys? Like, mm -hmm. holy smokes, this is a football team that did not do any of this type of elite-level recruiting, and yet here they are at the end of the year standing national titles, national title winners. Yeah, I mean, development at the end of the day is the most important thing to any program. Yeah, if you can get a bunch of five stars and it puts your chances of winning a lot higher, but you have to then develop those five stars and the players that can actually play on the field. We see it all the time. You see a bunch of guys in the top 10 high recruiting rankings go to different schools and they don't pan out. That's because development. It's not that they weren't talented. Obviously, they wouldn't be five stars if they were. And look, man, like they're, they're hitting home runs with their five stars too. I think I looked it up. The only five stars on the roster are J.J. McCarthy and Will Johnson, yep. uh, the, the corner. And well, 
them some dudes, right? <laughs> Those are some absolute dudes playing for them right now. Um, so when, when they needed a five-star, I think Will Johnson's from the Detroit area mm -hmm. um, or, or maybe from the local Michigan area. But nonetheless, when they needed a five-star and they needed to land one, they did. And not only did that five-star come to Michigan, but that five-star – played exceptionally well during his time in Michigan. Um, so, yeah, welcome into tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. If you're watching tonight and you're like, dang, I expected him to talk some dog to start the show. Uh, we have moved the local hour to 9 o'clock. Don't leave me. All right, we got another 45 minutes before we get into that. Uh, the reason being, we found that you you, you Georgia folks, y'all love us. Y'all going to stick around no matter what. I hope that bears true tonight in the stats. But for the folks that found us via an algorithm, right, whether it be uh, Michigan fans tonight, whether it be whoever that is not a Georgia fan, we didn't want to inundate the new audience with an hour of stuff that they don't really care about. So we're going to give them an hour of stuff that they might care about that you definitely care about. And then we're going to finish with an hour of stuff that you 100% care about. So welcome in. We got a great one for you. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, and rate, review, and all that good stuff. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, it will be made available for you guys on podcast platforms. I promise you, I'm going to do a much better job of getting those uploaded for you guys because uh, I've noticed based off the statistics, you guys actually care to find our podcast wherever they may be made available to you. So we will definitely be getting those up. Is what Michigan did repeatable? We just spent about 12 minutes talking about it. I want to talk about whether or not other programs or even Michigan could repeat what they actually did in terms of roster construction and uh, execution of the plan that is put in front of them. We're going to talk about the massive massive elephant in the room with uh you know the latest in the uh, developments in college football what went wrong for washington we'll talk a little bit about that and we're gonna give them three <laughs> things that you learned in the season of 2023 we'll take a look at the early 2024 favorites and quinchon Jenkins has officially transferred to ohio state so what i'm going to put in front of you boys is whether or not what michigan has completed knowing what you know especially what you know looking off the roster uh, construction is what they just did repeatable, not only for them, but approach it from from like another school standpoint. You know, if you're if you're Northwestern, is this possible? If you're one of these programs that hasn't won in 40 years, is this possible to to create this, you know, six year wagon wheel on into a national title? I think it's definitely possible. I think this is honestly the second year in a row that a team has gotten into the national championship game that has a roster constructed of this. I think we can classify TCU as a team yeah. like this that has lesser talent, that is not recruiting at a talent level like Georgia is consistently. And they got to the national title. They just ran into Georgia, and they got obliterated and moved on from that. But I think that's what the difference is between TCU and Michigan is right here of something that you've already alluded to is the fact of how good of a coach Jim Harbaugh is. Mm. It takes a tremendous coach. And I think that kind of got buried under the cheating scandals the suspensions and everything nobody wanted to talk about how good of a coach Jim Harbaugh was and I think we did on the show a little bit of like when Jim Harbaugh is on the field when he is actually with the team we see the differences in how mm. Michigan is able to operate on the field so I think it is possible but it requires a tremendous college football coach yeah I mean it's it's definitely repeatable because I mean for the most part Michigan's done it three years in a row now mm. they've, they've won they've won at least what 12 games for three years straight now they've made the playoff three times in a row I wouldn't recommend doing it if you're another team. If you're a Northwestern. Not a lot of room for error. No, no, if you're in Nebraska, if you're in Northwestern, if you're a different team that isn't necessarily a powerhouse, I mean, I mean, you could argue that Michigan got by in this 
this season by the skin of their teeth. Like they barely beat Bama. They struggled throughout the season mightily. It took them basically just leaning on offenses or leaning on other teams using their willpower to win. So it's certainly repeatable, but I don't think it should be the blueprint for college football moving forward. I don't think it's repeatable at all, and here's why. And it's something that I don't think anybody really talked about. I didn't hear a single soul mention this in any of the coverage. Michigan had 12, not seniors, super seniors on this roster. Six of their offensive linemen that they rotated, six of the seven, super seniors. Those are either fifth or six-year guys. Those are people who have played five years at bare minimum of college football, okay? This was a roster that was completely made up of way too old football players, all right? Mm. Um, stuff that prior to 2020 and 2021 wouldn't have even happened, right? This Michigan offensive line, this Michigan draft record, whatever they claim that they're going to break, this stuff probably wouldn't happen if the rules wouldn't have allowed it. All right, so let's let's talk about that and let's mention that. And I'm not saying like everyone's had the opportunity to do it, but let's be serious. The the ability for them to run it back and and give this a run and have seven graduate seniors on their offensive line, like this is only created in this window of college football. Had it not been allowed, they would have three or four new starters on the offensive line, and they would have been going into the portal. Instead, they return almost everybody and have to go get one new tackle out of the portal. There is a massive difference in those two things. This isn't one or two super seniors. This is 12, 12 super seniors, all right? 12 BYU Mormons out here. 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds out here taking their year off, uh, going and doing missionary work, and then coming back and being 20 years old and starting their college football career. That is the equivalent of what has happened, all right? So at all of these universities, not just Michigan, but we have to be honest about that. We have to be honest about the fact that if it is quote-unquote repeatable, it might be repeatable for somebody else, but you got to hope to have 12 super seniors that have played a bunch of football and who are really good football players that chose to come back to your university for a sixth year of college football. So that has to be made available. Also, um, I don't know how repeatable this is for Michigan. Like, best case scenario, they have seven returners coming back next year. Worst case scenario, they have five, one of which is a tight end, one of which is a, a, a fullback, and the other three are defensive players. They're your three better defensive players, right? Um, a, a corner and a defensive tackle and a safety. Some really, really good football players for you. But even if all of those return, if everybody returns, you only have seven guys, and then you have to pray for some more super seniors for guys like Blake Corum, which is very possible. But it's not going to be possible for this great offensive line that ultimately mowed down. So if we're going to sit here and say, is it repeatable? I don't think so. And, and guys, it, what do we do about this? What do we do about it? I don't think there's any loss of credit here, but we have to be honest about the fact that this front seven, this unit, okay, for Michigan offensively, was created through a, a loophole that was only made available via the COVID super senior, right? Is that fair to do that? Uh, I mean, they won the Joe Moore Award two years in a row before that. Like they yeah. were they were deemed the best offense, and they weren't super seniors at that point. So I think I think saying that this season is a one off and it shouldn't be counted. I mean, I didn't go that far. But, but like, I just thought we had to we have to we have to go out and save the fact that they had all of these guys return. And 12 of them mm -hmm. only returned because they were allowed to because of a special rule. Right. In modern football five years ago, this team does not exist. Right. And that, we and can that, say that. That definitely helped. And definitely Just like we could say that about Stetson Bennett's quarterback play last year. We could say that. Right. That's fair. Right. But saying that 
that it's not going to happen again or that you can't repeat this again. I mean, no, you're not going to have sixth and seventh year players on the team, but you didn't have that in 2021 or 2022 when you made the playoff. Now, obviously, that, that those seasons went a little differently than this year, but you were in there. You still have the chance. I mean, they could have beaten TCU last year. Mm. So I, I don't think it's saying it's not repeatable at all just because of that because they did have it with younger guys and they had a good offensive line in years prior. I think it's more of me saying that, like, the ability to time this window up mm-hmm. was drastically lengthened by their ability to have graduate, you know, guys playing for their football team. It added a plus year into the window. And we know, like, look at Washington, right? Look at Washington. Look how fa- look how br- brief that window was. Yep. And now it feels like it's closed. I don't care how good Caleb DeBoer is. They, they lose three NFL receivers and an NFL quarterback, and they're ranked 60th right now in national recruiting. Most people in their right mind would look at Washington and say, mm, that's tough. I don't know when you get back here. Because you know why? It's fair to say, because they ain't been there since 2016. So it's fair to do this to a lot of football programs. It would have been fair to do it to Michigan had their window closed on them last year. But again, these super seniors allow for this window to at least extend a little bit longer. Now, it was it was made available to everybody, so it's not the reason. I'm just saying that they're, they're from a standpoint of is it repeatable, the, it's very hard to say that, oh, Michigan's got a blueprint, so why can't Texas Tech or why can't, uh, you know, insert program here that hasn't won it for, why can't Nebraska? Okay, yeah, maybe, but you got to have a lot of things go your way. Uh, from a timeline perspective, uh, most importantly, you know, one of, not most importantly, one of those being the super senior things. I think it's just as repeatable in terms of, the window, it's just as repeatable if you're going to build it this way off of experience, off of line of scrimmage play, off of development, right? You got to have the time to do so. If you're going to build it this way, I think it's just as easy to say, well, that's as repeatable and the next school can do that just as easily as Washington just had three NFL receivers and one NFL quarterback. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think the two are just as repeatable um, and just as likely to be done again by insert program here. I think... This didn't prove anything. It didn't confirm my thoughts on this. But in order to be a year in, year out, that team's going to compete for a national title. We know for a fact. you got to recruit inside the top five. Like you, The only way to consistently be around forever is to constantly rebuild with talent. I think that's the only option. Mm-hmm. Still, even though we just watched somebody win a national title, recruiting at a mid-level, mid-level. Mid. Top 12. Yeah. Top 15 very mid from Michigan over the last couple of years. I think it's interesting that they did this, and I know that this plays into a role with um, the super seniors, but the fact that, that – that, I mean, I think they had like maybe four transfers or so like that were starting mm. for them, That, but this was not done via the transfer portal. I think that talking about knowing when to hit your window, knowing when to strive for your window, and knowing when to capitalize off of that window closing I think is very important. I think we kind of saw that with Georgia the previous two years where Mm -hmm. they knew that they had a window and they capitalized off of it both times knowing that that in 2021, you had a lot of key returnees on that defense. You had a lot of guys came back on that defense and on offense. And then the next year, it was Stetson Bennett coming back to play quarterback for you again. We've learned how important it is to have um, experienced quarterback play and whatnot. So Michigan was kind of in the same boat of like, you got Blake Corum back this year. You got some other guys on defense while also adding in a guy like Will Johnson, who I believe is just a sophomore this year, has mm-hmm. another year. They knew when to capitalize off. It's just a matter of taking advantage of it, and they absolutely did that. Um. It was very interesting to me um, to just watch the the line of scrimmage play, like we talked about earlier, and them not they don't they don't have a five star. 
Like no. they don't they don't have a five star defensive tackle. Mm-mm. They don't have somebody on the the inter- that Miles Graham kid's going to be a, a a high round pick. It looks like as a sophomore next year he'll be highly drafted. But they haven't they haven't stacked them like everybody else has, and yet they develop them uh, and, and have turned these football players into tremendous football players. But here's here's how I know this is an anomaly in my opinion. From a consistency year in year out, you're going to be there. Dude, Clemson let three like three recruiting classes slide on their ass, mm-hmm. and now they're eight and five. Now, now they got to win five games in a row to finish eight and five. Like this is a team that was in the national title conversation every single year three years ago. They take three recruiting classes at the rate that Michigan has, and now they're eight and five. Like that's all it takes from. We just didn't have the right nucleus. We didn't have the right, uh, you know, upperclassmen leadership. And now all of a sudden we're back to a middling program. I'm not saying that's where Michigan's going, but I'm saying that 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 could happen really, really quickly if there's any type of fall off in whether it be in Michigan right now, any type of fall off in coaching adequacy and you're back to where you were. Because um, there's not much of a, a talent drop-off that there could be, right? You, we just told you. You're not recruiting at a top five level anyways. Clemson was, and now they're not. So now they look like an eight and five program. I don't know how Michigan continues this unless it's just off the backs of Harbaugh's going to be here forever. We're going to continue to recruit at a middling level and develop better than anybody else in the sport on the lines of scrimmage and in the running back room. Yeah, I mean, obviously Jim Harbaugh is the key piece to all this. If you don't have that, I think you're in a, in deep shit as far as your roster goes. So yeah, but I mean, if you do have Harbaugh, I mean, what he's given you the last three years has been fantastic here, at Michigan fan. I mean, he's lost what. Three games in three years, twice to Ohio State, once to Georgia. Yes, I was. I mean, he hasn't lost lost hardly at all. So, mm-hmm. if Harbaugh's there, I think you you trust what you have and you keep going with it. Yeah, no doubt, impressive, none the least. I mean, yeah, going through these numbers, especially on the defensive line, because that I mean, we, we all saw it in the national championship they game. Like havoc. That that was the difference maker in that football game, and so I was like. Going through those numbers, going through the rankings, I was like, for sure, that's going to be the high. I mean, I just I can go down the list right now of all the defense, interior defense line. I'm like 247, 444, 513, 177, 294, 748. That's who's playing defensive line for Michigan this year. And they were the best players on the football field. It looked those like are last like night. borderline four-star guys. Yeah. And I would I would imagine that – and I don't, I don't want to stereotype 24-7 sports but or any recruiting service, but I would imagine a lot of those guys even got bumps – because they committed to Michigan, you know what I mean. Um, and maybe, maybe there's a whole lot of southeastern bias in this entirely, right? Maybe, and I'm not saying maybe. I'm, 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 I'm almost saying for a fact. I don't think the northeastern hemisphere of the United States gets covered nearly as as tough and as as uh like on top of their shit as the southeast does with regards to these recruiting analysts. It's just not possible. Like, I, I know for a fact, I see Notre Dame reporters come down to Atlanta. Like, why are you here? Well, there's a seven-on-seven seven this weekend. Like, everybody's here. Every good player's here. They're down here. They're down here. So, we see all these people more often. We rank all these people more often. I bet if you went through the five stars, you would notice that they are geocentrally located, right? A lot of West Coast in Cali, a lot of Texas, a lot of Southeast, okay? How many five stars do you see popping up from New Jersey? Not a ton. Not a ton, not very often. You know why? Because they're, they're just not up there. Like, we're not up there very often to recruit these guys or watch these guys or look at them. 
It doesn't mean there's not great football players up there. It means your, your recruiting department, your development department, your scouting department has to be really, really, really elite. Um, and I think that deserves some, some hey, some tips of the cap right there from a Michigan standpoint. Um, but I, I think you're hard-pressed to, again, think that this is repeatable. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? Sure. A pretty large elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Pretty large elephant in the room. Now, I don't well, – there's actually two elephants in the room. One being, is Jim Harbaugh going to go to the NFL? A massive elephant. He's standing over there. And then the really, really big elephant that's staring at all of us is this question right here that I proposed to the chat. Jim Harbaugh got a three-game suspension for lying to the NCAA about some goddamn cheeseburgers. What you think they're going to do when they close this investigation, right? Because it's not over. I, I'm not saying there's going to be vacation of wins or vacating. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. But they suspended the head coach for, what, a third of the season? Yeah, a quarter much, of the season? Yeah. For lying about cheeseburgers. What you think they're going to do? I don't know. I, I have no idea. But I think that's the biggest question left off of this. And I think I, it's why I honestly, I cared far more about this investigation during the season than I ever will after it. I ever will after it. Because here's what I'm not here for. I'm not here for vacating wins anymore. Like, wh- wh- who's that hurt? You vacate wins right now, all you're doing is hurting the players from Michigan. I, I think that's bullshit, okay? Well, what are you going to do? You're going to retroactively find Jim Harbaugh? No, you can't do that. Like, if he goes to the NFL, you're just standing with your dick in your hand with nothing. You got nothing. The NCAA has zero. So, like, honestly, I, I think they, they could make this thing really, really ugly. Will they? I don't know. Um, will we have an answer to it? No. I don't think we're ever going to have an answer. Not anytime soon. Okay? Because the, the cheeseburgers we're talking about, that investigation came from 2019. He, they haven't even concluded the investigation on his daggum uh, illegal, uh, you know, communication during COVID. So this idea that this is uh, going to come down to a final head, we're ever going to get any answers for it. No, you'll probably just strip Jim Harbaugh of his national title in his wiki page, and that's it. And honestly, is that any type of punishment? No. It's not any type of punishment. This dude's going to get away scot-free. He's going to walk off to the NFL. He's going to have a great time uh, being the head coach of our boy uh, Justin Herbert out there with the Los Angeles Chargers. And everything's going to go under the, the, the carpet and under the rug. And, and guess what? Here's what really frustrates me about this one. Those dipshits out here that was out here talking about, oh, stealing signs don't matter. Watch. Ooh, they want it on the field. Why can two things not be simultaneously true? Why can it not be true that stealing signs in the manner in which they did is cheating and it definitely had an impact on the football game? And, oh, by the way, Michigan won a national title without doing so this year. Why can't both be true at the same time? No, we can't do that. We can't separate that. Because Michigan won, everything else doesn't matter. Cheating, stealing signs, doesn't matter. Knowing the play, knowing whether it's run or pass, doesn't matter. Bullshit. Doesn't matter. Michigan won. That That's what frustrates me the most is because, they yeah, great. Michigan won. They were the better team this year. That's awesome. But the dipshit in my mentions talking about, ooh, told you, you just had to line it up and play. Eh, we'll find out. We'll find out whether or not the NCAA thinks whether or not you really did just have to line it up and play whenever they finally conclude this investigation, which I, I don't know whether or not they ever do. So there, I just ran over.
I think that it's almost impossible at this point to like truly give a punishment that either Jim Harbaugh or Michigan can feel and like suffer from. Because, Correct. Like for me, I, I could envision this of like when the um, investigation closes, it's okay, Jim Harbaugh, you're banned from college football for five years. Well, that's fine. I'm already in Los Angeles or I'm already at the NFL anyways. So I'll just stay here for five years or I'll continue my career there. And it doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Or you do any of the other things that you mentioned, you find him, which whatever. I just think it's, and that's why I'm not, I don't think that there's going to be this satisfactory conclusion to this for people who are against cheating or are hell bent against it. I think it's just going to be three years from now, a verdict is going to come into place and it's going to be, okay, well, that was pointless. I don't know. I mean, all this basically sets us up for is 5, 10, 20 years down the road when people say who won the 2023 national championship. People, Some people say Michigan did, but it doesn't count because they cheated. And then everyone who liked Michigan said, hey, it doesn't matter. We won. You can't do anything about it. So I think that, the that, line of demarcation right there is whether or not you live in the state of Iowa or Ohio. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like, you're, it, it's going to be an argument that goes in circles till the end of time. No matter what the NCAA does, no matter what kind of sanctions come down, people are still going to say Michigan won the title this year. There's nothing you can do about it. So, I mean, it's it's a moot point at this point. No matter, and it's probably not even going to be another two to three years before we find anything out, unless the NCAA really has a fire lit in their ass and are hell bent on punishing Jim Harbaugh. Can you separate? Can you guys separate the two? Can Can you in your mind say, "Ooh, that was cheating." definitely had an impact on the football game while also saying like oh no they're 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 good like they're 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 national champions yeah i think i i mean pretty much since the ohio state game i've kind of came to that conclusion of like okay yeah what you did was wrong but now up to this point what you're going to do further on into this season like this is legitimate like we've already we're seeing that you are a good football team mm -hmm. we are seeing that you are worthy of being one of the four best teams in the country and now that you've won the national title, we can I think we can say that you were the best team this season based on the facts that are given, based on who you beat, based on what you did late in the season. Like, that's what you have to claim them as. Love some good hard facts. Yeah, I mean, you go 15-0 you go in a college football season. It's it's hard to, to say that you weren't one of the best teams, if not the yeah. best team in college football. So, Especially when you do it. I, I think the Big Ten was the third best conference in the country this year. I would go – yeah. Uh, whichever you prefer, Pac-12, SEC, 1A, 1B, and then I'd say the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and then the Big 12, and then the ACC. Mm -hmm. And you ACC know, fans will say, "Oh, they were seven and five against the SEC. You biased Homer. Um, congrats, you beat South Carolina twice. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You beat a shit Florida team at the end of the year. Congrats. Um, I think you got Kentucky. Good one. And then Kentucky got you back. All right, so uh, or did Kentucky got them twice? I think Kentucky beat Louisville. Kentucky and did Clemson. beat Louisville. So I thought Clemson won the Kentucky matchup. Clemson oh, won, that's right. Clemson won that so, game. So they got they got Clemson or they got Kentucky. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, congrats to you guys. Um, you got LSU this year. You know mm -hmm. that was that was your big keynote yeah, win. That was you beat the third best SEC team this year. If fourth, that, if yeah, I'd put Missouri yeah, before LSU. Ole Miss won that football game, right? Mm -hmm. I, I so fourth. You're forgetting about Missouri, bud. Oh yeah, fifth. Congrats. Oof. You beat the fifth best <laughs> SEC team this year. Um, all right, let's get into this one. What went wrong? What went wrong for Washington? Um, I'll let you guys start because I, I got a, a plethora of things that they just didn't do right. I mean, basically the exact thing that you couldn't have go wrong, which was that D-line forces Michael Penix to pretty much throw off balance the entire game to the mm. point where he's under duress. And then 
when he's not under us, he's missing wide open throws uncharacteristically or receivers are dropping balls. So, I mean, mm. it, the, the game was never going to depend on what could Washington's defense do. It was going to be, is Washington's offense enough to overpower Michigan's defense and their smothering offense? And the answer was no. I mean, from Jump Street, Michael Penix was rattled. And he, yeah. he never recovered. He never was able to get back to that. I mean, even when Washington was moving the ball down the field using tunnel screens or just kind of under – um, under what small short passes, short field passes yeah, underneath. Like, underneath. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, it never felt like he got into a groove, never got into a rhythm. It never felt like yeah. Michael Penix was settling back in. And I mean, we saw that with the missed wide open field down throw, like overthrow that something we never saw him do throughout the season. He was just very uncharacteristic of himself. I think the clock got sped up for him. I think the defensive line just, he always felt the pressure, even if it wasn't there. And the fact that he never settled back in. And at any, any point in time when everybody said why Washington would win this game, it was because, well, Michael Penix is yeah. playing quarterback. Well, Michael Penix was not playing quarterback last night. That was my first bullet point on, on this section is Michael Penix, I think, had his worst game of the year, or at least looked the worst version of himself all year. And I talked about it last night. Um, I don't know if you guys picked it up. Y'all definitely did because I was texting you about it. I thought Michigan did a better job than anybody I've seen in college football in a long time in disguising coverages, okay? Mm -hmm. We look like we're playing one thing. We're going to play a completely different thing to set, uh, as soon as the ball is snapped. And they did so with uh, essentially a true freshman at one of the safety spots. Keon Sobs back there playing safety. And I, I was watching him just like one specific play, and he did it multiple times. But he, he's flipping his hips pre-snap. And in one, in one instance, he's showing like, I'm about to open to the field. And he stands that way the entire time. And then as soon as the ball snap, the other safety rotates to the middle of the field and he drops into the hook. And what ends up happening is you see a quarterback for the first time all year hold the ball very indecisive about where he's throwing the ball. I didn't see a single ball last night from Michael Penix that he threw outside of a tunnel screen or anything underneath with 100% confidence. Mm -hmm. Every single ball he let go last night was like, ooh, I hope that goes where I think it's going. Ooh, I hope he thinks I'm, I think is on the same page I'm on, right? So that's the first thing that went terribly wrong. My, Michigan did a great job of getting Penix out of his mojo, out of his rhythm, right? Uh, uncomfortable to say the least. But the other thing that I thought they did a really, really good job of, um, you know, was they they did the they did the different um, you know defensive stuff, but offensively, man, when you start that hot for Michigan, when you come out and you score on your first two drives, you don't face a third down on your first two drives, like on the other side of the football, Washington gets sped up immediately. Washington's offense now feels like, oh shit, we got to score immediately. It's how you end up having 51 passing attempts in this football game. It's not just because they were down. It's because they had to basically give up the run immediately. Like They felt like, oh, shit, now we got to score on every possession because we're only going to get 10 of them. And every single time they walk the ball down on us, we not only lose a score, but we lose a possession because that's exactly what Michigan does to you. Michigan goes into a football game where the national college football average is 12 offensive possessions per game. When you play Michigan – you automatically, per stats, get 9.75. So you've lost two and a quarter possessions the moment you walk out onto the field. That is stressful. That's really stressful to an offense like Washington's, and they fell into it immediately. So that was horrible for them from the start, that 14-3, to three, uh, you know, kind of open to this football game. But the other one is you guys hit it right on the head. There's a lot of self-inflicted errors in this football game from Washington. Mm -hmm. They did not play 
like a national title winning football team mm -hmm. on Saturday, on Monday night, right? Had uh, Penix miss two critical, like wide open dudes. Uh, they had a drop from a, a running back on third and two when they had a swing route completely called and perfectly. They had a double move late in the football game, only down seven to get them inside the red zone. What do they do? Right tackle gets called for a hold. So it's like all of these things that you're doing that don't create opportunities for you to win a national title on top of the side, uh, on top of the fact that the guys on the other side of the football field played a relatively clean one. Um, so yeah, I thought the biggest issue for Washington in this football game was when they, they go down 14 to three, you're, you're, you're not cooked, but you are immediately stressed and pressed for time and, and for opportunities. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead, you got it. I think late in the game too, at least for me, like I was waiting when it was a one possession football game, I was waiting for one of those teams to make the big play. And, you right. know, stats would say that Washington is the team that is going to make that big play. They're going to be the one to eventually hit on one, drive the ball down the field rather quickly and get a score and be right back in this thing. And it never happened. And then it was Michigan that made the big play and ended up putting them up multiple possessions. And it was like, dang, that, that's it right there. I just wonder how much differently Jesse Minner and that Michigan defensive staff has to call this football game if a few of those explosives hit early. Right, they got they got all this pressure and all this attention, and they're really really getting upfield and getting after the quarterback, and they're just doing a lot of disguise coverage. They're not just lining up and playing football, like most teams try to do against fast paced, you know, spread offenses. Most teams just line up, keep it consistent, keep everything in front of you. Don't really pressure. They're not attacking. They're responding, trying to keep everything in front. That's how everyone's played this team, and I'm just wondering, like early on in the football game, if Roman Dunze gets hit. Right, and if if he gets loose, he's, he was loose. They blew a covers because they were disguising it too late, um, and he's running right down the seam. Penix misses him over his left shoulder. It turns him around. They don't catch the ball. If that ball is a touchdown, right? If that is a sixty-five yard explosive, like it has been all year for Washington, how much different does Jesse Minter now call the football game? I would imagine it's totally different because what Washington scares you about is the chunk place. Third and thirteen is nothing to them. It has been nothing to them all year because. A 20-yard completion is nothing to them. They just pump them out left and right. So it is the nation's most explosive passing attack. And I think a few of those misses, had they hit, the defensive game plan for Jesse Minter gets not necessarily thrown out of the window, but they get they get completely different on the defensive side of the football as a, as a coordinator. Yeah, I mean, and in, in the score doesn't really indicate it, but Washington was within striking distance for, the whole for pretty game. much the entire game. The whole game. And, and you just never could get anything going on. I mean, the defense, for all, all things considered, played a relatively good game. Mm. You had two really bad runs in the first half, and then, of course, you give up 34 points, but one of those was off a turnover where, where the game was pretty much yeah, over. You gave, they had the ball in the red zone, so it's not like the defense played horrible. The offense just shit the bed, honestly. That's what it was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the defense was able to do what the offense couldn't. I mean, those first two drives for that defense, it was like, oh, boy. Yeah. This might be a really long night for you. I mean, they couldn't get – 12 yards a clip. They couldn't get Edwards or Corum on the ground. They were just bounced off and couldn't tackle them. They looked slow. They looked quick out of their breaks. Like, everything about that defense was like, this is not looking too well. But then they started getting stops, and we were texting them out. We are like, this defense is doing everything they can to keep Washington in this football game and is giving that offense every single opportunity to put this game away. And even when Washington – Washington looked like they were going to capitalize off of it. Like when they were on fourth and 10 down in their own, um, down in Michigan's end, you get the PI, but then you also get a holding call and you just kept shooting yourselves in the foot. Nothing was going your way. And at that moment it was, well, you're not, you're just not capitalizing off your opportunities. I think part of the, the stagnation from Michigan offensively 
midway through that football game is because they were up 14 to three. Mm-hmm. Michigan will do this to you. Yeah. Michigan will make you think that they, that you have them controlled, but in reality, they're playing time of possession games. Like a seven play, 35 yard drive that takes five minutes and they punt the football, buddy, that they won. They, they won that possession when they're up 14 to three. Like you may think you got off the field and that's great, but they just milked clock. And that's exactly what happens uh, with this football team. They play so goddamn slow. And it's it's slow and methodical while also still making your heart and your mind race the whole time as a defensive back or a defender, right? Like, they're in a huddle, and you're over there sucking wind, waiting to get punched in the mouth again. And then all of a sudden, they break the huddle, and they're in one formation, and then they scatter to a new one. And by the time you get set, they're snapping the football. 35 seconds has ran off the play clock, and you're getting punched in the mouth again. Like, it's a really different style of football that Michigan plays that nobody else is really out here doing. Like, ain't nobody out here huddling. Like, Nick Saban talked about it on the Pat Mm -hmm. McAfee show this past week. That is the only football team they played all year that huddles. Like, think about that. That's that's nuts. That's where we've reached in the game of college football. So I got a question out of this then. Because for the last three or four years, it seems like the fast-paced, high-flying offense spreads you out, really, really stress your secondary – has been what's dominated college football. Does this kind of the pendulum swing back with what Michigan did? Or is it just like you said, just a one-off season where they had seven guys that were 27 years old and just just grinders? So I, for me, the we can win with defense and a game-managing quarterback, the, the threshold, because it hadn't been done in college football playoffs, like if, go look at it. Every offense says one has been super explosive, except for the 2021 Georgia football yeah. Bulldogs. Like, that football team was, I think Stetson was 3,000 yards passing. And maybe – It was very Trevor Lawrence-y stats-wise. Um, and maybe that 2015 that Alabama I was about to say, Jay Coker. Yeah, and Derrick Henry and all that group. Yeah. Um, that, that checks out. But, guys, that's that's almost a decade no, ago. No, like, absolutely. That's yeah, so long time. Long. Absolutely. Like, football has completely changed since then. So, yeah, this is this is a very unique path. Like, I, how many times this year did I compare them to 2019 Georgia? A lot. A, a bunch. A lot. Because that's what they looked like. They looked like a football team that was like, hey, here comes 50 rush attempts today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to throw it 18 times. We're going to play defense. We're going to beat you by a score. We'll see what happens. Um, and if we break your will, we're going to roll you by three scores. But until then, it's going to be a tight football game, and we're going to win in situational football. Um, yeah, I thought they did a, a, an excellent job all year coaching these guys up um, and getting things done. Uh, should we give them three? Let's do it. I've done it in a while. Give them three. Three things that you learned about this year in college football. I don't think any of my three have been taken, so we'll start with you, Kirby. So the first one I have is the transfer portal is just as, if not more important than recruiting in today's college football. I mean, you look at all the elite teams, Texas, Washington, I can go on. I don't have off the top of my head. Oregon, just, mm-hmm. uh, just elite team after elite team. Alabama. Yeah, I mean, transfer portal. I mean, teams that their star quarterback was from the transfer portal. So, mm-hmm. I think that you have to not only hit in the transfer portal as much as you do recruit. I mean, look at teams that aren't doing it, like Clemson. They're falling behind. So, so that was my very first one. And I'll go ahead and hit it because it kind of contradicts what you're talking about. I think the portal is for Band-Aids, not building blocks. Oh, man, dang it. Right? I, I think it is there to enhance your roster. I think it is there to, to – you know, fill holes and voids that are, are made available. Mm-hmm. But if your method is out here to build your entire program off of the portal, 
you will die a slow death like Michigan State. Yeah. You will die a slow death like Colorado is ultimately going to do. Um, you have to have a good guts and good right. core and a good foundation and then add uh, onto that house. Right, and, that, and that's why I think I'm saying it's just as important Correct. because you have to be able to utilize in this day you of college football. you got to match football. both. Because guys are going to transfer out. Guys are going to get hurt. You're going to need depth somewhere. Ain't you no also doubt. need experience because of people transferring out. You're going to be throwing sophomores and freshmen into the mm. fire. So you need that you need that transfer portal expertise or experience per se. What's number two? Number two for me was that the old saying defense wins championships, offense wins games isn't dead necessarily, but I've come to the conclusion that a good wide receiver core will always be a good secondary, but a good D line will always dominate a good offense. Me likey. Immediate impact, immediate havoc. If you if you got a good solid defense line, you're gonna cause some problems mm-hmm. no matter what. I think the the 50 front bear defense created that original myth back in the eighties. Yeah. And then my third one, and I hate to say this, but the 12 team playoff might be the right answer for college football, because mm-hmm. I mean, we had never seen it before where five teams, six teams, really, you could make an argument for had a true legitimate spot at saying, Hey, this is one of the four best teams in college football. And then you can't put six in a four team format. So so uh, normally we go one, two, and then three in this situation. But you kind of hit on my second one here. Um, the portal created this. Yep. It's why Absolutely. we have 12 good options. Absolutely. It's why this year we had six good options, right? You mentioned it. If, if Washington doesn't have Michael Penix and Jalen Polk, they're not here. It's, it's not in the equation. Nope. Um, those are portal additions. If Michigan doesn't add into the portal – with offensive linemen and the the linebacker that folded in J.C. Latham late in the football game, like, they're probably not here. Now, right. they might be, mm-hmm. you know, because all the graduate transfers that we talked about. But there's a lot of these football programs, Texas being one of them, right? If you don't land Quinn Ewers, what do you look like? A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell, what do you look like? Uh, their whole defense, not their whole defense, but a lot of their defense was comprised of, of you know, D1 retreads and guys that transferred from other places. So, yeah, I think the portal has 100% forced us into a situation where 12 is the only answer because if we didn't, we would have a lot of pissed-off football teams remaining in these 14 playoffs. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Hey, Christian Kirby, give them three. Well, I didn't think mine were getting stolen either, but I think you kind of flirted around with them. I did have the transfer portal one. I worded it as the transfer portal can elevate you, but it cannot carry you to the promised land. Mm-hmm. There's a big distinction there. It can absolutely elevate your roster, but it's not going to be the sole reason why you get to that national championship game. Uh, my first one, though, I said veteran experience quarterback play is arguably the most important factor in college football now. I mean, you look around at all the teams that are in contention for a college football playoff or were in the national championship game or in the playoff. Those teams had experienced quarterback play outside of Alabama, and I think it honestly might have been a reason why Georgia didn't quite get there because they didn't have that experienced quarterback play. But J.J. McCarthy, that's a guy with experience. Quinn Ewers, that's a guy with experience. Michael Penix, that's a six-year dude. Plenty of experience. I think it has arguably become one of the most important factors in college football. The 12-team playoff, I put it as it may not be the perfect solution, but it's something that all college football fans need to see. Florida State fans need to see what would have happened to their football team if they got put in the college football playoff because they need to put that argument to rest. They need to know that that's what was going to happen regardless of whoever won. By the way, what a championship-like hill to die on Mm. for those folks because here's what the alternative is. Like, Florida State's going to get absolutely skull-fucked in the first round of the playoff by whoever they would have played. I think we all believe that. There's one. Um, but now now they get to sit here and be Mr. Petty the rest of their lives. Like, they, until they're good again, 
until they win a national title, they get to talk about how they were robbed of one in 2023 and about how the committee sucks and about how nobody likes them and how the ACC just is out to get them and the ESPN hoax and, and to hell with Kirk Herbstreet. They get all of these things now when in reality, had they got in, they would have like a 35-point loss to Michigan if that were the case, right? Or at least we all think that, except for Florida State fans. They think they could have rock-fighted their way to a, a, a game in a national title. I don't know. I don't know what they believe, but obviously they believe that they were robbed of something. That you were robbed of an ass-beating. That's what you were robbed of, and that's okay because we finally, we finally, we finally got three great playoff games in a row. Like, I know last night's score didn't end up like that, but that game was tight and close for 40 minutes. What, 45 minutes of the 60 that, yeah. minutes? Like, come on, man. I, I think Florida State fans, great for you. You got a, you got a, we got to, you got something to bitch about the rest of your life. So that's awesome for you as a fan because nothing better than a fan who loves a good take. Yeah. So Florida State fans deserve to see the ass beating in the cultural playoff. I think Georgia fans deserve to see what that team could have done in a playoff mix. I mean, you played your worst game one time. You had one loss by three points. You got kicked out of the cultural playoff, probably undeservingly so, but we'll never know. But you deserve to know what that would have looked like for you. I think even Oregon would have deserved mm. to see what their team could have done in a cultural mm. playoff game. You played Washington close twice, a team that made the um, national championship game. They played their worst game against Michigan and they ended up losing. But it would have been interesting to see what Dane Lanning the Ducks could have done so it may not be the perfect solution but I think that a 12-team playoff is something that every single college football fan base needs to see and will enjoy seeing is that all three that's all three hey that boy Jay will give him three all right so I got three for you um number one like I said the the portal is for band-aids not building blocks let's go in let's add on right let's go in let's add on um and I also that's my first one I also thing that I learned about this is that like Thank God for the portal, and I know that sounds crazy, but thank God because it's going to make moving to 12 make a whole lot more sense. Um, and I, I feel that to my core. I was very questionative of this move to 12 um, because I thought it was going to demean the regular season without realizing that demeaning the regular season is fine as long as it gives me a more complete answer about who was the better team at the end. right? If the game in October means less because I got a more definite answer in January – I think we can all, as college football fans, give that up. I think we can all agree to that, right? If the game between Georgia and Ole Miss in October means less so that Georgia gets an opportunity to avenge a bad day, like, I, th I think you're going to be okay with that. I think it's going to mean a lot more for you. Um, and it's at least going to, as pissed off fans, because that's who we're trying to appease right here, as pissed off fans, you're going to have an easier time sleeping at night when you don't win a national title when you had an opportunity to, to, to do so. Right. That's that's obvious. I think that's the main complaining point that we're going to address in our local hour here in just a second. Um, so, yeah, the portal definitely forced us to 12. And I appreciate that. Um, and my final observation from this year, uh, and I think this one's obvious. There's I don't know what it's going to be, but there's some type of change coming that is not relative to the to college football playoff number. You know what I'm saying? We knew there was a change coming to 12. We, we knew it was on the horizon. It was on the calendar. We all know it was coming. But I think there's something else. I think there's something else coming. Mm -hmm. I don't think college football coaches like Kirby Smart talk like they do um, if they don't know something, right? They don't go to a microphone and say the world needs to see that. There's something about this needs to be, be fixed. And he wasn't talking about moving to 12. I think that's a lot of people were thinking about that's what he was talking about. That's what he, what, wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about college football players opting out of bowl games and making bowl games meaningless again. Or me, like making them meaningful again somehow, some way. 
You have to, have to, have to. Change the calendar and make bowl games mean something again so you don't have these things like what we had happen all offseason. All December, no one gave a shit unless there was a goddamn Pop-Tart walking around. And we got to do something about that. I, I, and I think that's obvious that's coming uh, down, the uh, down the pipe. Hey, that boy Brooks, give him three. All right, let's talk about early favorites in 2024 before we move on to this local hour because your boy got to use the bathroom. Um, the, the list came out. I'm going to read them off to you. Georgia, the favorite, plus 350. Bama, plus 550. Ohio State, plus 800. Michigan, plus 900, as is Texas at plus 900. Oregon at plus 1,000. Ole Miss at plus 1,100. LSU at plus 1,600. I think Clemson rounded it out on the list at about plus 1,800 nice. on the national title odds. Um, am I wrong for looking at next year and thinking it's like more wide open than ever before? No, I was just about to say that. I don't feel good about any of those teams. No, I, th I think there's kind of this, this – uh, this idea that, okay, you know, now that we've got a 12-team playoff, Georgia's going to get in, they're going to run the table every time because they'll never miss it. But, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know how confident I would be in any of that. There's so much changing and there's so much roster overturning all of these teams. that And, yes, Georgia has weathered that storm much better than other teams, but Bama's still there, Jalen Mills returning. So, I mean, there's just so much right now. I mean, we're so far away out for, too for it to be like to make legitimate predictions. So if it's if it's me, if I'm like if I'm a gamble, if I'm just an addict, an absolute fiend, I'd be looking at these early plays as like, hey, let's find some value in the number, right? Oregon. Let's find some real value in the number. Oregon and guess what the value in the number is right now? In my opinion, there's there's three like there's a couple I wouldn't touch. I wouldn't touch Ohio State with a ten foot pole at plus eight hundred. That makes zero sense in my opinion. Um, I, I wouldn't be out here. Touching LSU plus 1,600. Ain't no way. Ain't no way I'd be messing around with that. Clemson, get the hell out of here. Uh, I wouldn't even feel great about putting money on Ole Miss. I really wouldn't. Um, but here's where I would be circling the wagons, uh, as we talked about pre-show. I'd be circling the wagons around these three names, Michigan, Texas, and Oregon. Here's why I'm circling Michigan. If Jim Harbaugh signs that contract, if J.J. McCarthy announces he's coming back, those odds drop drastically, mm -hmm. okay? That plus 900 is going to go to plus 550 like that. And there goes your $450 of value on 1000 All right, yep. so I would be paying attention to that one. Um, Texas, I think, is good value at plus 900, um, despite the fact that they're coming into the SEC, but they return a lot. Um, and you don't really know what's going to happen with them at the wide receiver no. position. And you don't Maybe have to, find another you don't have to win the SEC anymore. Mm -hmm. Texas can lose two games this year and still, hey, you know, they're still a really good football team. we got to put them in. And then, and then who knows what happens. And then I'm looking at Oregon. I'm looking at Oregon as a first year in the Big Ten opportunity, um, and they're compromised. They're comprised as a roster, and they have the quarterback now with Dylan Gabriel. They're comprised as a roster to compete with programs like Michigan, and Ohio State, and Penn State, and all those. Absolutely agree with that. <clears throat> I like. I like all. I think those are all the three best value plays right Absolutely. now as it stands. Who, what's up? Oh, never mind. Um, I was going to say who's a team not on the list that we that should be on the list, or we think eventually gets on that list dj lagway freshman all-american florida oh, i'm just kidding that's a joke um, probably oklahoma yeah oklahoma's yeah. at plus three thousand i thought I saw. oklahoma was the first one that came to my yeah, mind oklahoma plus three thousand all right we have a whole another hour coming up loaded up for you right now and it is our local hour stick around with us <laughs> 